order and it's designed. Now this week, we're going to be in verse 24 following. Four things on earth are small, and yet they are exceedingly wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, and yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crowds. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught in the hand, and yet it's found in king's palaces. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four that move with stately bearing. A lion, mighty among beasts, who retreats before nothing. A strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king secure against revolt. If you've been playing the fool, then exalting yourself. Or if you play an evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For churning cream produces butter, and twisting the nose produces blood. So stirring up anger produces strife. So that's the saints. And we're going to dive in and see what in the world is Agler talking about. Um, the saints are riddle-like in nature, and they call us to chew on them. And yet they're very understandable um, with, with a little word, a little thought. Um, so you can see um, in your outline, on uh, the second page, flip it over, we'll begin verse 24. This, this uh, sixth numerical saying tells us that success is achieved by humble living within God's created order. Rather than self-exaltation, rather than sinful self-promotion, which is what he warns against in the previous sayings, Agra now is going to tell us the true pathway to true greatness. There's another way. There's a better way forward, he's telling us. He's saying, do you want to be great? Do you want to be truly successful? Do you want to thrive in life? He says, it's possible. But it's not through sin. It's not through self-glory. It's not through overstepping God's boundaries. It's through wisdom and humility. It's through modesty and contentment. It's through lowliness and self-denial. That is the way forward. That's what he tells us. It's the pathway to true greatness. Look at verse 24. Four things on earth are small, and yet they're exceedingly wise. These four things are not small only in physical size, but in their strength and their power. They're weak. They're vulnerable, is the idea. They have no safety and security in themselves, and yet they succeed. How? They succeed by their extraordinary wisdom. God has woven his wisdom into the fabric of creation, and it's seen in how his creatures operate. And the point is that you, too, are lowly and insignificant and very vulnerable. And the way forward... It's not sin, it's not self-glory, it's not self-promotion, it's humility, it's loneliness through wisdom, and you can succeed. This is the point. So, I love uh, these four creatures and what, what he teaches us here. So look at verse 25. <clears throat> verse 25 gives us the ants. It says, the ants are a people, not strong, and yet they provide their food in the summer. Agar says that the ants are a people. Uh, it's the word for a people group. It means a collective whole. And while it's true, ants are not people, <laughs> Agar uses this to apply it to us. He's showing us how the ants behave to apply it to us, how we live our lives as a collective whole, as um, God's covenant community. 
the ants, as a people, as this collective whole, are not mighty and strong, he says. They're some of God's smallest creatures. They're vulnerable. And yet they succeed. And it comes from not their physical power, but their wisdom. Look at the next line. It says, yet they provide their food in the summer. Literally, they establish, they make secure their bread. They make their bread secure in the summertime. They, they prepare ahead for the winter that's called coming in the summertime. They establish, they make secure their bread. We saw this back in chapter 6 when we studied there. The point is that wisdom leads them to make timely and adequate provision for the cold of winter that is coming. It's diligence combined with timeliness. It's in the summertime. They don't wait. It's, it's in time and it's hard work. So there's a few things I want to flesh out here for you. Notice in English it just says they provide their food. The word is literally bread. Now where have we seen bread in adversaries? Let's think about it. Yes. In his prayer. That's exactly right. What does he say? Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but do what? Feed me with the bread that is needful for me. Give me my daily bread. I think there's a connection here. Agur depended on the Lord to provide his needs. And here we see the ants doing what? Laboring hard and timely for those needs to be provided. And my point is that those are not contradictions. Those two must be held together. Um, the ants, which commend wise, hard labor and prudent saving, what do the ants do? They save up for a time of need. It does not contradict dependence on the Lord in prayer. The two are to be held together. Uh, we should not pray to God and then neglect the means he's established to meet that prayer. Does that make sense? Uh, we don't pray to God, for example, for spiritual growth, and then we don't avail ourselves of the means. Listening and sitting under the preached word, meditating on the word prayer, fellowship, all those things. God commands us to pray, and then he commands us to avail ourselves of the means, whereby those prayers will be answered. And that's what we get here. The wise depend upon God for their daily bread, and they pursue it with wisdom. Diligent work and saving. And so you got to hold the two together. And the reason you got to hold them together is because it will keep you from either extreme. Dependence on the Lord will keep you from arrogance, thinking that all of this that I have, my hand and my wealth did it for me. Yeah, go to work. Strive hard, save, but do it in dependence on the Lord. So at the end of the day, you say, yes, I worked hard, but ultimately this is from the Lord that it's come. And um, work hard, be diligent, lest you be lazy and ignore God's um, appointed means. So Agra's prayer is not meant to keep us from earning an income, working hard, even saving our money. The ant here is meant to balance it for us. It's meant to call us away from trying to get bread some other way, right? Greed is driving Ithiel here, his son, to get it through slander, get it through some other means. And Hagar's saying it comes through slow, 
timely, faithful labor. Be content with that. Back in verse 22, you see bread again. The fool gets filled with bread. And he wants to get it some other way. He doesn't want the slow process of gathering. He wants to get it now. He wants the abundance. He doesn't want his daily provisions met. He wants more than that. And it leads him to sin. We could go to many Proverbs that exemplify that. So the ant's model wisdom for us, they're small and yet they survive because of their hard, timely labor. So I think this, this proverb here calls us to be content with being small and weak and instead avail ourselves of the means that God has provided for us and beware of craving more than God has provided to you through those means. Where has God placed you? Avail yourself of those means. Work hard, save, and be content with that. Depend upon Him. Bruce Walke said it like this. He said, The ant's exceptional achievement, which is out of proportion to their seemingly inadequate size and power, provides a model for God's people to exercise prudent foresight, discipline, and industry in a timely manner. Be content. Work hard, save wisely, but do it with dependence on the Lord. That is the way forward. It's lowliness. It's not self-exaltation. That ant's goal is not what? Having their fill of cake. It's their fill of bread. It's humility, contentment. Um, living according to God's design. Let's move on here to verse 26 now. So he's carrying shaping for us, making a model for humble living. The first begins with, with just content, faithful, hard labor. Number verse 26, the second creature is the rock badger. It says the rock badgers are people not mighty, and yet they make their homes in the cliffs. He illustrates for us the wisdom of taking refuge in another. These animals are native to the Middle East. Uh, they looked them up, and we don't have them here. They look sort of like a groundhog. I guess it's the closest thing you can compare them to. Maybe a prairie dog, if you've seen those. They're about 8 pounds. They're about 20 inches in length or so. Um, and they're not ferocious. They're pretty vulnerable little creatures. And they live in groups. That's why Agar also says that they are a people. They're, they're a collective group. And yet they're not mighty. The word here for mighty means have strength through numbers, have numerical strength. That's not where they get their strength from their um, collectivity. Where do they get it? How do they succeed? Look what it says. They make their house in the cliff. These little animals may be found living at elevations of over 10,000 feet in the, the cliffs of the Middle East um, terrain. Um, they're safe from predators there. Their wisdom is seen in their choice of a strong refuge for success, not in their own abilities, not in the, their own might. So the question is, how does this apply to us? How does their taking refuge in a cliff, right, that's wise, we can understand why that would be wise, but what, how does that apply to me? I think the answer is that these creatures recognize their weakness, and they seek refuge in something outside of themselves. That's exactly how Iron began, right? He admitted his weakness. He admitted his own inability to do what? To attain, what was it? Verses 1 to 3. He could not attain wisdom on his own. He despaired of his own wisdom. He despaired of his own knowledge, and it drove him to do what? 
Take refuge where? In the scriptures, in the word. Go back to verse 5, chapter 30, verse 5. I think this is what Agra wants us to think about. Because look at the word that is used. After confessing his weakness, he says that verse 5 is his only hope. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to what? To those who take refuge in him. So the ant commends wisdom, faithful, slow labor, being devoted to where God has placed you. And the rock badger calls us to turn our hope away from our riches in God's word. Turn our hope away from ourselves. See our inability and our weakness. Find our refuge in the Lord. Well, how do you take refuge in the Lord? You take refuge in the Lord by taking refuge in his word. The two are inseparable. You can be content with being small and weak and a vulnerable person. You don't need self-exaltation. You don't need greatness. Aggressive. You can have success as you hide out in the sure, absolute promises of Scripture. That's not a throwaway saying. That is truth. Hide away there. Make those your rock. Make those your trust. Don't trust in your possessions, but in God's wisdom. And that is totally the opposite of the world. What the world tells us, what the world says is needed for success, needed for security, needed for true greatness, wisdom, power, and wealth. Right? That's what the world tells you. And I can tell you just the opposite. Recognize your weakness and hide away in the, in the word. Jeremiah 9.23, you know the verse well. It says, let not a man boast in his riches, nor the mighty boast in their power, nor the wise boast in the wisdom, but boast in what? That he knows me, the everlasting God. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, the same thing, but he applies it to the gospel. Not many among you are wise according to this present age, or powerful, or rich. But you're truly great, because what have you done? You've taken refuge in the gospel. You want to be great in this life? Take refuge in the gospel. Take refuge in the word of God. And you will surpass um, the mighty of this present age. They're like rock badgers without a cliff. This is the way forward, I was telling us. <clears throat> Number three, look at the locusts. Let's fly through these here. Um, I love this one. Verse 27, it models for us the wisdom of selfless unity. Selfless unity. It says the locusts have no king, and yet all of them march in rank. It literally reads, there's not a king for the locusts, but they go forth dividing themselves up into companies. Like an army. The limitation of the rock badger was that they're not physically mighty, right? And the um, limitation of the ant is similar. They're not, they're not strong. Well, what is the limitation here of the locusts? What is it? They don't have a leader. They don't have a king, right? They're pictured as this army, but they don't have a, a king. Can you imagine an army without a commander? It'd be, it'd be chaos, right? What happened when Israel had no king among them? Everyone did what? Well, it was right in their own eyes, right? So this is a big limitation, and yet the locusts overcome. It's amazing. They're like this mighty army. They don't have a commander, a leader, not a single one breaks rank. 
they're all marching perfectly in order and accomplishing the goal. Um, it's magnificent. Agar tells us that the biggest threat to unity is self-ambition. Breaking rank. Not one of these locusts is a maverick. He's part of the whole. He's marching, not to make a name for himself, not to get praise, not to get focus, but to be in a small member of this massive army moving forward. And that's how they have unity. They don't have a leader. And yet, unity causes massive things to happen. It's when man wants praise, when he wants to be felt much of, when he wants to be noticed that he breaks rank causes disunity and the whole army falls apart. One locust by himself can't accomplish much, right? Not many farmers care about one locust out there. It's when the army moves as a whole. It's when much happens and much is accomplished. And the same is true for us, especially us as a covenant community. That's what Agra's talking about, the church. The call is for us to be content with being just one locust among many other locusts. Nobody notices that one locust, right? That's what Agra's calling us to. Just faithfully carrying out our master's orders. It was this desire for greatness that was threatening the church in Corinth, right? They were going around, well, I've been baptized by Paul. better than you are. And boasting it in worldly values. It's a desire for human greatness that threatens our unity. Man, it is just promoted to us day in and day out by our culture. I mean, social media is the platform for making a name for yourself. Um, In our culture, um, the celebrity pastor is the one that is held up. Greatness in the church is marked by popularity and fame. And charisma and doing something really big and getting noticed. When we slowly begin to devalue service if it goes unnoticed. We neglect our gifts if they don't produce something really big and look very impressive. We disregard our ministry if it doesn't grow to the size that we think it should. And slowly, our gifts and our ministry devolve into the level of idolatry. It's about me not about the Lord. So Agur and Jesus and Paul all give us another way forward. It is not about you. (laughs) It's not about me. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about being a single locust among a massive army who's not concerned about me. I'm concerned about the goal. That's all that matters. Whatever I can contribute to the goal of God's glory. But I was studying this, my mind went to 1 Corinthians 7. Flip over there. We don't have a lot of time, but this is so helpful. You know, 1 Corinthians 7 is about uh, marriage, and the Corinthians are struggling with questions of of marriage. They thought that since they've become believers, they they need to change their place in life. And the specific context is they're married to unbelievers, and they think, well, I'm a believer. This is an unbeliever. I need to get out of this. If I really want to be spiritual, if I really want to be be great in the Lord, or somehow this person's defiling me, whatever it is, but Paul tells us something very contrary. Look at chapter 7, verse 
17. So that he's just saying, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay with them. You don't know whether your Lord's going to use you or not. And look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, each one must remain in the condition in which he was called, in which he was saved. Were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. If you can't gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called as a slave of Christ. You are bought with the price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. In other words, glorify God where you're at. You don't need to change your life where you're at. It's not saying don't get out of sin if you're in sin, but where has God placed you? Bloom where you've been planted. Blossom where God has placed you. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a person that works in the in the workforce? Are you a teacher? Wherever as God has placed you, thrive and flourish there. You don't need another venue. Be content there. Be content with being insignificant, unnoticed. Be content with being obscure. You can glorify God there because that's where God has placed you. Be a locust. You don't need to have fame. You don't need to have reputation for true greatness. This is true greatness, is what Agnes us. Be content with being a small part, unnoticed, set by God, for God's glory. It's beautiful. That's what I want. I don't want selfish ambition, and man, I confess it, it, it eats at me. I want it. I crave it in my flesh. All of us do. Continue. Be faithful. What has God gifted you with? Where has he placed you? Blossom there. Finally, the lizard um, completes this, this saying. Verse 28. Back to Proverbs, Proverbs 3. Verse 28. The lizard you can take in your hands, and yet it is in the king's palaces. Lizard here is probably something like a gecko. Um, some translations say spider. Uh, I think it's, it's more like a, a little gecko here. It's vulnerable. You scoop it up in your hands and catch it. It's not very big. But it succeeds. Look at uh, the second line. It's in king's palaces. And the second line doesn't tell us, like the others, the wisdom, how it succeeds, it really gives us the reward for its smallness. It takes a step beyond even. The point is that you may be small, but wisdom will exalt you to some of the highest places in the land. In other words, the lizard doesn't get access to the king by its greatness. How does the lizard get access to the king? By its smallness. And you as well. It's the lizard's very smallness and vulnerability that exalts him to the same dwelling place as the king. If it, the lizard is large and mighty, it's not going to last very long. He's going to be exterminated. It's his smallness. And the same is true of you. Be content with being small and insignificant and faithful 
look at the place, and that's true glory. That's true exaltation. And you see this theme repeated over and over in the New Testament. Jesus says, if you would humble yourself, you'll what? You'll be exalted. But if you exalt yourself in the presence of the king, you're going to be humble. Humble yourself. There's many ways to do that. According to Jesus, you can look those references up that I that I put here. So we're almost done. I, I only have like two, three minutes. Let me fly through the rest of these verses here. And what is going on with the rooster? <laughs> the final numerical saying, bold confidence enjoyed by those who have submitted to God's created order. There's three things stately in their stride, four stately in their stride, stately in their tread, stately in their stride. The idea is that they excel. The word is basically, it's good. They do well in their stride. So I think these four creatures are very good. It's not a negative thing. This has given us the capstone. It is telling us if you've gone this pathway of humility, you can walk around with your head held high in confidence and boldness because you possess true strength and true power. The lion exemplifies total power and strength. He has nothing to fear. Proverbs 28.1 says the righteous are bold like what? Like a lion. Humble yourself and you can go through life with confidence. Fear nobody but the Lord. Second is the rooster. He's the leader among the other chickens. And the he-goat is the leader among his herd. And the king is the leader among his people. The king with the army who is with him. All of these um, exemplify success and confidence um, among what? Among those boundaries in that place that, um, that they live. Walking puts it like this. He says, these four creatures stride in majestic dignity over their spheres of influence. The wise, knowing how to compensate for their vulnerability, march with their heads held high, fearing nobody but the Lord. Those who are content where God has placed them, who submit to the boundaries he puts in place, who are faithful with what God's entrusted to them, who are willing to be just a small locust among many others, who take refuge in the word of God alone, these are the truly powerful these are the truly great. These can go through life with their heads held high in confidence and not need a fear of being ashamed like the fool. Value faithfulness more than abundance. That's how I summarize Agar. Value faithfulness more than abundance. Value contentment more than greatness. Value godliness more than anything. And really, you can summarize it even more. Value the name of God above your own name. And that's what his prayer is. Glorify your name. Verse 32 and 33, <coughs> he gives us this conclusion. And um, we'll read it really quick. If you've been foolish, if you've been playing the fool, the word is nabal, nabal, hard-headed, obstinate, defying God's created order, exalting yourself, that's how you do it, devising evil, Put your hand on your mouth. The Hebrews literally, hand on mouth. <laughs> Shut up now. Quit it. Put the rebellion out now. Repent. Stop it, is what he says. So the call for me is to examine myself. Where have I been bent on self-glory? Where have I been bent on not being content with my situation in life, where God has placed me? Have I not been where have I been desires for reputation? Where have I been neglecting gifts that God has given me because they don't go noticed? 
and they don't go seen by others and praised by others. Repent is what Agur says. Finally, gives us the conclusion, and not to disappoint us, it's a numerical setting. <laughs> and it centers around the word squeeze or press. Mm -hmm. and just as certain as if you press cream, it produces butter. If you press your nose, it will produce blood. If you press anger, if you don't repent of anger and self-promotion and these simple desires, you're going to destroy the community. You're going to cultivate strife and destroy um, God's order. So that's Agra Saints. They are good. Man, I need them. Our culture needs these. Um, I encourage you to meditate on them, chew on them, apply them to your life. And I would just conclude, make this your prayer. Father, hallowed your name. It's how Jesus began the Lord's Prayer, and it's how Agra concluded his prayer. Father, hallow your name. May that be my desire in everything that I am, everything I do. Any questions, comments? We are out of time. It's 1017. I wanted to fly through that to make sure we could be done this week. I love Agar. I think he's my favorite uh, in the book of Proverbs. Good questions, comments? So go forth this week, be a locust, and uh, be a rock badger. Take refuge in the word of God alone. That's true security. Be an ant, faithfully go to work. You glorify God just as much being a plumber or an electrician or whatever you are as a pastor of the church. Because that's where God has placed you. Thrive there, blossom there. You can glorify from there if you do it in righteousness and in humility for his work. So let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. You're so good to us. Lord, we ask magnify your name. Magnify your name through our lives. That's why we exist. That's our only reason for being here. Keep that our focus. May that be what we strive for. Expose where we have desired self-glory. Where we have desired the name for ourselves rather than you. As you prepare our hearts for the service ahead, teach us, convict us, Form us to the image of Christ. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name.